Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from and what drives them forward. There's a huge demographic time bomb that's about to explode. Uh, who the hell is going to grow the food, right? And you ask any, you know, young, urban, hipster, millennial, Gen Z, you know, do they want to go work on a potato farm in the middle of Idaho? Like, no, of course not. They want to hang out in Brooklyn. For this episode, I sit down with Tobias Pecks, CEO at Square Roots, an urban farming company based in Brooklyn. By pioneering new vertical agricultural technologies, refining the seed to sale model and training the next generation of farmers, Tobias is challenging what the future of farming might actually look like. This was recorded in the somewhat noisy Square Roots HQ. Let's do this. I'm in. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I want a photo of this. <laughs> it's usually in my office or like somewhere quite bougie, not in the corner <laughs> of like a warehouse. <laughs> Anyway, welcome okay. to the real world of startups. Man. There we go. Good intro. Okay, I'm very excited to be sitting opposite Tobias, uh, someone I've known for a number of years. So welcome to Stories of Growth. Thank you. Thank you for coming um, to Square Roots. Thank you indeed. Uh, so we're sitting here in Brooklyn mm-hmm. uh, in an expansive office of the old uh, Pfizer factory. And uh, why don't we start... Quick introduction. Sure. Um, brief intro to how you've arrived here, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll just get into some of the details specifically of what you're trying to do with Square Roots. Yeah, great. Uh, so, well, let's start with what Square Roots is, right? So we're, we're an urban farm. We grow food um, in the middle of New York. Um, we're able then to service the 8 million people who live in New York with locally grown, really tasty, fresh food. And we use a really clever set of technologies that allow us to do that literally all year round. Um, So even if there's two foot of snow outdoors, which happens pretty frequently in New York in the middle of winter, um, in our farm, it's always the perfect growing conditions. It's an indoor controlled climate farm. Um, So we're always able to grow amazing food. Um, I think you and I met in the late 90s, probably, just as, like, the internet was, you know, happening. I probably met you before we had email addresses, I, I would I think. I think it was the dawn of email. Is that right? A long time ago. So, basically, 20 years since then to fast forward, I've done a whole bunch of early stage technology stuff. Um, I left UK in the 2000s, went to Silicon Valley. Um, I've built, you know, social media targeting engines. I've built mobile apps that help uh, you take selfies and look beautiful before you post it on social media, Um, a whole bunch of stuff. But along that journey, I met this guy called Kimball Musk, um, who's a very famous tech entrepreneur in his own right. He's on the board of Tesla and SpaceX and these companies. Um, But in parallel with that, has been on a mission to get America off the industrial food system for over a decade. Um, So very briefly, industrial food system 
is um, something really awful that um, most Americans are at the mercy of. Uh, what we're talking about here is big industrial farms in the middle of the country um, or elsewhere around the globe um, that are monocropping, that are using pesticides um, that are terrible for the planet um, and produce food that's really completely zero nutrient value and a kind of bad, bad for people. And we're all at the mercy of that, unfortunately, right? There's a reason why obesity has happened in the last 20 years, right? It's this terrible food system that we're at. So his his whole uh, kind of mission for the last 10 years has been how do we get off that food system and kind of back onto a local, healthy, sustainable food system? But can we bring technology to play um, in that context and do it more efficiently do it all year round and have a lot of fun while we're doing it. And so I, um, you know, having got to know him a while back, sort of jumped on board full time on that food mission uh, maybe about three years ago, and that led us to set up Square Roots uh, exactly two years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. So digging into, I guess, the goals um, and I guess that inception story, and you mentioned you know, the big problem is the quality of the food that's been generated. Mm -hmm. And with that, the access to local. Um, but if there is, you know, one thing that Square Roots is trying to fix, what would that be? In many ways, that is the blessing and the curse of Square Roots. We're actually trying <laughs> to fix a few things. So no, number one, we're trying to fix availability of local food. Right, the food we eat today is terrible, and that has to change. And so we want more farms in the cities where people actually live. Right, by 2050 there'll be almost 10 billion people on the planet, up from you know seven today, and 70 percent of those people will live in urban areas. Right, so if you want to do local food, you've got to figure out urban farming, grow food in the cities. So that's number one. Firstly, we want you know, to put urban farms in literally every single city in the world and and provide that local food to, to those urbanites. The second big thing that we're trying to solve, though, is we need more farmers. Um, so the average age of a farmer in the United States is 58 years old right now. Average age. Average age is 58. So there's a huge demographic time bomb that's about to explode. Uh, who the hell is going to grow the food, right? And you ask any you know, young, urban, hipster, millennial, Gen Z, you know, do they want to go work on a potato farm in the middle of Idaho? Like, no, of course not. They want to hang out in Brooklyn. And so, um, you know, what what we've done here is really built farms that make it really easy for young people with not necessarily any farming experience, but just a real passion about bringing local food to people. And we've built our farms in a way that makes it really easy for them to get up the learning curve on farming and start producing really great food. So it's growing food, but growing farmers. Yeah, essentially, you know, if I fast forward 50 years and we've got square roots farms in every city in the world, we're growing a ton of food and selling a ton of food, and that's great for business. It's also great for the consumer because they're getting access to better food. It's better for the planet because we're not, you know, pissing pesticides all over fields everywhere and watching that runoff destroy the oceans and whatever. But at the same time, we've also empowered and trained and coached and inspired and unleashed a whole new generation 
of you know young people who now also understand how to grow food, how to get food to the consumer, what a local, sustainable food business looks like. And we hope that they will go off and set up their own companies um, and, you know, in aggregate, we'll end up creating a, a network, an army of people that are trying to bring local food to people in cities. That's great. And what's the goal? Like, what's the ideal? Like, what is that, you know, destination that you want to get to? Is, is there a number on it? Is there a... It's less is, of a is, number. Is, is, is there a... You know, how, how do you... How, how do you articulate that dream? I think it's more of a purpose, right? Which is we want to bring real food to literally everyone, right? It kind of, you know, six months ago I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was talking with some friends of mine there who are parents, and, uh, you know, I helped them do the school run that morning, took the kids to school and kind of looked around and, you know, observed that there were a number of kids, you know, in the seven-year-old school that were... Uh, obese, right? And then you actually to do the research on that and look at the statistics. And in the US, you'll find that there's actually a 35% childhood obesity rate. And that's nothing that those seven-year-old kids have chosen to do to themselves, right? That is just a lack of availability of fresh, local, healthy food. And so, you know, when you is ask... Is it availability or is it education? Availability. Uh, I mean, so you go talk to farmers in a place like um, um, Memphis, right? Um, you know, Memphis is completely surrounded by farmland. But you go talk to those farmers and literally none of them are growing anything healthy that can be consumed by a local human. They are growing GMO cotton or corn for ethanol production. There's just no local food there. And so, surprise, surprise, the kids are eating, you know, processed crap that's been flown in from thousands of miles away. And flying in from thousands of miles away means it takes time every day that food is traveling. The nutrients are breaking down into sugars. You know, what you're eating is, is, is awful. Um, you know, as I was digging more and more into this, right, I found out that the um, average apple in a u.s supermarket has been traveling for nine months nine months what? right yeah so you go into the supermarket and you think you're making a healthy choice right mate you're picking this apple maybe because wait, 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 wait. Yeah, what yeah. do you mean it's nine been traveling since it was picked until it arrives on that supermarket shelf and you buy it it's been traveling for nine months wow. and during that time all of the all of the nutrients are basically broken down into sugars and to stop the apple decomposing into a gray ball of mush, it's like coated in wax. Right? I mean, everyone's familiar with that, right? You bring the apples home from the supermarket, you kind of got to wash them because there's that wax on the outside. That wax is to stop the thing decomposing over nine months. So basically, you think you're making a healthy choice, but really you're just eating this waxy ball of sugar. It is, it is gross. And so, yeah, when you talk about the goal of Square Roots, can I put a n number on it? No. Like, the, the, the purpose here that drives us every day is let's go bring real food to everyone. And to us, that means local food, right? And so, again, how are we doing that? You know, local to us means local to where the majority of people are going to live, that city. So that's why we're doing urban farming, hopefully in a very scalable way, so that we can bring these year-round urban farms to every city in the world. 
and we're here in New York. Um, where where's next on the on the roadmap? <laughs> yeah, it's a good, great question. I have a lot of people asking me. Um, so I think for the so just to be clear, you have <laughs> ten ten farms here. Correct. Or yeah, ten, ten farms being a container, a shipping That's container. Right. Yeah, actually, yeah. So let's explain that, right? So each of our farms is built inside a refurbished shipping container. Um, and we also uh, farm, um, basically we farm in three dimensions instead of an uh, outdoor field, which is essentially farming in two dimensions, right? So we sort of have these vertical walls which are racked in the farms. And, and the bottom line is we're able to get a lot more food out of the same size footprint. So, um, you know, I grew up metric in England like you. I've now been converted back to Imperial, having spent 10 years in the States, so forgive my non-metric numbers, but okay. you know, a 40-foot shipping container here, 40 by 8, is a 320-square-foot pad. Um, but on an annual yield basis, because we're growing in three dimensions and we're able to grow year-round because we can control the seasons... On that 320 square foot, we're able to get the same amount of food as the equivalent of a two-acre outdoor field, right? So in that one shipping container, we got a two-acre farm there. And we got 10 of these shipping containers in a parking lot, basically, in Brooklyn. So we got like a 20-acre farm here that's pumping out um, a, a lot of food. Um, Tell me about the Pfizer story quickly. Oh, yeah, very, very quickly. So... The building, the building we're in is a former Pfizer pharmaceutical factory. In the lead up to the First World War, this building was the U.S.'s largest producer of ammonia, which at the time was used for explosives. And then when you look at agriculture history, you'll see that post-Second World War, when we didn't need so many explosives, but we had this excess capacity of ammonia, someone had to figure out something to do with it, so they dumped it on a field and realized that the plants grow faster. Right? And this is essentially the birth of chemical fertilizers and the industrial food system. So the building that we're in is essentially the birthplace of the industrial food system. And so when we were looking at real estate in New York a couple of years ago, and we realized that we could put a local farm <laughs> on the parking lot of the home of the industrial food system. It was just too good an opportunity to turn down. Some people have called it poetic justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. Um, so coming back to those next locations. Oh, yeah, next locations. Right, right, right. So we've got these shipping containers. Um, 10 shipping containers equals um, like a, a campus, as we call it, and we want to put campuses in every city in America. Um, we'll probably focus... Same sort of size? Uh, probably double the size. I think the one in Brooklyn we sort of refer to as like our pilot or our MVP. Um, you know, we wanted to get something up and running to figure out how it worked, mm -hmm. if it would work, and then how it works. Um, so that's great. And then going forward, we'll have farms that are like, 20 containers instead of 10. Um, and we'll probably focus on the U.S. for the next uh, two or three years, I would think. Um, you know, there's so much, so much demand for local food and such a huge need um, to bring local food to everyone that e even if we only focused on the U.S. forever, it would probably take up my entire lifetime. Yeah. Um, but we are already in conversations um, in the Middle East which um, you know, is very interesting, much harsher outdoor climate, right? Really almost impossible to grow local food. 
Um, and so again, having these controlled climate modules right in the middle of cities like Dubai, for example, that would be you know a way to get locally grown food there. Um, and we're also in conversations about opening farms in Northern Europe as well. Again, um, you know, seasonality is is a factor there, right? If you have a farm in Sweden, right, you're growing your out, outdoor farm in Sweden, your growing season is, you know, two or three months, right? It just makes availability of locally grown food a very challenging problem. Basically, you cannot physically do it year-round, whereas you can with these types of systems, right? So basically, anywhere where there's a winter or a harsh climate is is great for this type of solution. Yeah, completely understandable. And how we were talking earlier about the um, about the farmers, mm-hmm. and maybe talk uh, briefly about the year program, what, how it works, who they are, and you know, what, is it graduation? Is there like a passing out ceremony? Yeah. Do they get certificates? Yeah. Is Wait, it, yeah, uh, because so to me, listening to you talk about. I mean, maybe revolution is too strong a word, but certainly just changing a, a, an archaic system, you know, that starts with a re-education of how, how it's going to work as then an, an enablement through this technology for that to happen. But to, can you just talk about the farmers themselves for a bit? Yeah, you're 100% right. And it needs more farmers, right? Again, it's back to this stat of the average age of a farmer being 58 like who who is who is going to grow the food and so um, specifically within square roots yeah that program exactly so so um what what we've done at square roots then is set up a 12-month program where young people who are you know as passionate about changing the food system as we are but perhaps don't quite know how to get started um we can help them get started right so we have a 12-month program where um, they work with us for 12 months and they are the farmer, right? So they're growing food, they're, you know, helping sell the food, distribute the food, get out there, meet the customer, build the brand. How many farmers um, in the program at one time? Uh, one, one per box, right? One so box. however many however many containers we have on the farm is the number of farmers that we have. And, um, you know, while these folks are on that 12-month program, they're growing food and then we're selling food, that's how we all make money. But in the background, we're also coaching them on how to become a food entrepreneur in their own right in their subsequent careers. So they might spend, say, 30 hours a week in the farm, but then another 10 hours a week in lessons, listening to mentors or coaches or other kind of programming where they're learning about um, lean startup methodology. That's a helpful methodology to you know, start your next entrepreneurial endeavor. They're going to be learning about how to build community. Um, they're going to be learning about positioning and branding and customer acquisition and the ins and outs of a P&L and all the things that you would need to know to become a food entrepreneur in your own right subsequently. All right? So while they're farming, they're learning everything from seed to sales. And then when they're in the classroom, they're learning all the other ancillary stuff that, that's required. Right? So at the end of their 12 months, they're now ready f- to launch that career in the food industry. Right? Some of them have got the bug about farming and they want to go set up their own urban farms. That's great. Um, others might have been looking at the system all year and looking, say, at the, the the lights that we have there and they've just got a better 
design for a more efficient light in the head and they go set up a hardware company that now sells lights to urban farmers. That's fine too. It doesn't matter what it is, right? We need all these people, all these new entrepreneurs out there figuring out how to make local food in cities happen. And so our hope is that we're, you know, unleashing this whole generation of people that, um, you know, really understand that from the fundamentals of the seed and then have been inspired to, you know, take their own entrepreneurial journey and start contributing to that wider mission. Let's talk about talk about you for a bit. Um, your, I guess, trajectory. Um, you briefly mentioned some of your previous accomplishments, but in terms of and one thing that I'm certainly fascinated by is, is the entrepreneurial mindset and what it is as a person to be a founder, be a CEO. You know, it's not necessarily the leadership of it, but really it is that. You know, it is that mindset. And is this something that you always thought you would be? Something that you always aspired to be? Is it something that from your family, like where, maybe just talk about some of the, the earlier, more, maybe not too formative years, um, but yeah, just some of those, those earlier years of, or maybe some key moments that you felt really defined who you've now become. Yeah, it's a, Great, great, really great question. I've not really thought too much about it, right? But if I think about influences, you know, both my parents run their own businesses, right? And um, um, so, you know, I've seen the, 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 the work ethic and the stresses and the strains that come with that, but then also the joy of, like, you know, it, it's your own thing. Um, it wasn't like they, you know, particularly pushed me in that direction, but just like that was kind of the environment that, that I saw, I guess. Um, and you know, then I think kind of timing and and the luck of timing has got a lot to do with it. You know, when we both left college, uh, university, the internet was beginning to happen. Right, anyone who was just like you know interested in new shit could go there, and like there were no rules, no frameworks, no nothing. We're all making it up. You know, it was it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um. You know, I wonder if I left college 10 years earlier, what would have happened, you know what I mean? I would have probably worked in at IBM and sat in a cube for 40 years, right? So I think kind of timing is... I doubt that. Well, maybe, who knows? Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then I think sort of identifying, um, again, being being lucky and being very fortunate to have some, like, really amazing mentors along the along the road, along the journey... Um, you know, I worked at this tech company in London called Net Decisions. The two founders there, Manoj Bidali, Charles Mindenhall, they you know, have had wildly successful tech careers in, in the last 20 years and done a whole bunch of really interesting things all around the world. But one of the things that they did for me was they sent me packing off to open a software development center in India in 2001. I didn't know my ass from my elbow, honestly, um, but I just remember them saying, it's okay, go, you are going to make a mistake and don't worry about it. Here's our phone number. Like we're on the end. We trust you, you know, start swimming. Right. <laughs> and, uh, the <laughs> here's the deep end. <laughs> That's right. Here's your ticket. You leave in two weeks. Um, and just the, the sort Wait, of, when, when was this? 2001. This was right at the beginning of the outsourcing boom. Um, but just the, 
I mean, you know, a huge amount of responsibility to, I'm like mid-20s probably at this point, you know, a ridiculous amount of responsibility. Uh, but also then that sense of, in, of empowerment w was very kind of informative. But also, I guess, really that sense of responsibility, right? I was like, my God, these people have like really taken a chance on me. I absolutely have to pay it back. And I think as I'm watching successful entrepreneurs, you know, over, over the last 20 years now, it, it is those two things, right? It's like the, 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 the confidence, um, you know, the, 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 the sense of empowerment, if that kind of makes sense, to just like try something and make it happen, but also to do that in a way that really understands the, the weight of responsibility that you carry, right, to investors that have backed you, to um, teammates that have, you know, given up, you know, easy jobs at big companies to come and work on something crazy. And, um, right, so every day you wake up with, you know, another great idea and you want to go for it, but you're also needing to constantly make sure that decisions that you're making you know, are going to pay these people back in different ways over time, right? And that, that's the kind of line that I think you, you kind of walk every day as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And no sleep. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that too. Um, you briefly mentioned failure. It, India wasn't a failure, I, I take it. But um, maybe you could share a failure story um, and a lesson learned from that that you've you've experienced along the way as i certainly know when you're you're taking in something new you're jumping in the deep end you know there is a there's an adrenaline that comes with the unknown but also you know a high percentage of failure that comes with it certainly in a traditional startup capacity in a startup world yeah i mean i think you know like maybe talking specifically um, you know, about, about a particular instance, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, but also as an advisor to early stage, um, you know, tech companies, I probably advise sort of, you know, 10 or 15 companies um, at, at any one time. I'm on the board of a couple. I, I think, you know, where, where I have seen failure and sort of, you know, sat there and analyzed and tried to figure out why, a, a lot of it is actually rooted in... Um, in, in, in the team culture just not being right. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of, a lot of um, you know, founders that I know who are setting up the company, right, when you say to them, hey, what, you know, what is your purpose? What is your mission? What are the core values of the company? Like, how do you want to operate? You know, what is the type of company that you're trying to build? Here? They'll kind of look at you and go, oh, I don't have time for any of that shit. Like, I'm chasing this opportunity. And, and, and when you see those companies that are not, built on a strong on a strong cultural foundation you know when shit hits the fan which it inevitably will those are the kind of weaker companies that tend to crumble quite quickly and, and so i always you know for example when we set up square roots you know we started it literally in my apartment and uh you know the first month of the company i sat there um with uh um christy little the, the you know, first employee that we had and we sat down and we wrote out values and MOs and sort of spent a bunch of time figuring out what type of company we wanted to build before we started building. Um, and, you know, two years later, like, we still refer back to those on a, on a daily basis, hiring decisions that we make, right? Are people culturally aligned? Strategic decisions we make about the business, is this in line with the mission 
And, you know, when shit hits the fan, people, you know, look to, um, you know, look to the values that we have and rally around that. And, and, and you know, it's a real foundation of, of strength. Yeah, no, super, really good advice. And, I mean, applicable to all businesses as well, in any stage, in any market. In terms of the, um, again, that growth of you, um, that growth of, of Square Roots, and uh, where do you feel, or, or is, there, is there any sort of, other than the purpose of which you spoke, which is fantastic, is, is, is there still a little itch that you're looking to scratch? Is there something that you feel that you haven't quite achieved yet within those plans or those goals? Uh, what, in a wider career, do you mean? Yeah, or? a wider career. Um, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what... <laughs> because your background is, is, is varied from... Uh, which creates the fabric of your experience, which is utilized to help develop businesses and you know it, w w with this square roots you know current business mm -hmm. you know is c can you see can you see beyond that can you see wider yeah, than that p probably probably not actually um and again i just think that's uh sort of you know my mo which is like i'm all in um so you know I'm all in for square roots, right? We'll see, where, <laughs> we'll see where the journey goes. And then, you know, the, that journey will end, you know, maybe. I mean, like this idea of trying to bring real food to 10 billion people is like, that might take a while. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it definitely pays to, um, uh, you know, be curious about what's going on in other industries. And, you know, you see things pop up, you know, alternative energy, Bitcoin, hunting aliens, you know, all these things just like, oh, it's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's no like itch that I have right now to go and, you know, go and figure those things out. I've definitely got enough on my plate here, um, for, for sure. Yeah. What did you have for lunch? Uh, <laughs> I genuinely had a salad from a square roots farm and it was absolutely delicious. <laughs> You're not just saying that. <laughs> no, I don't, hundred percent. It was a beautiful kale salad. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. So how, coming back to kale salads, how, how might someone buy some product? Oh, sure. So uh, you can go to squareitsgrow.com and click the buy local button and you'll see several ways you can buy it. Um, so we sell in retail stores all across New York City. We work with uh, many amazing chefs and restaurants around town. Uh, right now, we're also running an experimental direct-to-consumer model as well. So if you live in New York or Brooklyn, you can sign up for a weekly delivery of, of food and a farmer will literally harvest it that morning, jump on a bike and come to your desk just in time for work and give you a fresh salad. Um, so yeah, there are plenty of ways to buy it. Okay, that's good to know. And um, what's the best way of someone getting in contact with you? Uh, Twitter is probably the best one, at Tobias Peggs. Um, or people can just send me an email to buy us at squareitsgrow.com. Cool. Um, final question in terms of a tip, piece of advice, um, a life lesson. There's a single one that you still stand by that you'd be happy to share for the, uh, for, I, so for ne next, about, next generation yeah, of I have, entrepreneurs. I have thought or, about this, you know, in, in events hall, but the thing that jumps to mind is like keep keep learning honestly i mean um 
you know, things are moving just so fast, business models are changing, new technologies coming to market. Like as soon as you think you know it, you have fallen behind. That's the only thing I would say. So just like keep curious, keep learning, like add new skills, you know, tactically then right, create time for reading every day. Just like try and stay a little bit ahead. Great. Tobias, thank you so much. Thank you. Great. That was fun. Thank you.